Hello, I'm Tristan Reynolds, and welcome to the Rambler Interview Podcast, where the Rambler staff has fascinating and engaging conversations with members of the transit community. This week's show is going to be a little different. I attended an art exhibition in Transy's Moreland Gallery. The exhibition is mostly about the Iraq War, and it is still ongoing, so if you're inspired after this episode, go see it. To kick off this exhibition, the Moreland Gallery director, Andrea Fisher, and Professor Gary Deaton decided to host an event where they would invite anyone who is interested to come into a moderated discussion in the gallery about both the artwork and the political themes involved in that art. And the whole conceit was that they do it over kitchen tables. Apparently, talking about politics is not something you're supposed to do over the dinner table. Nobody has ever told me this, and that's maybe why I'm so obnoxious. Anyway, they served snacks. The snacks were very good. The podcast you're about to hear is a recording of one of those conversations at one of those kitchen tables. I sat down with a retired transy professor, a current UK professor who wrote the introduction essay to the exhibit, one of the artists at the exhibit, and two transy students. It was like something out of The Breakfast Club. And we talked about politics. A quick warning before you hear this conversation. Due to the nature of the recording, there is a bit of background noise. So the audio quality is not quite as crisp as it might otherwise be. However, I think the conversation is definitely still worth listening to. I found it personally very interesting. If I could get everybody's name into the uh, recording. Okay, that'd be great. Why don't you start? Um, I'm Evelyn Howard. I'm a first year here at Transy. Uh, I'm Will Campbell. I am also a first year here. Anna Brzeski. I'm an artistry professor at the University of Kentucky and I wrote the essay for the exhibition. I'm Becky Alley. I'm one of the artists in the exhibition and I'm also the gallery director at the University of Kentucky. I'm Martha Geringer. I'm moderating tonight, um, and I am a retired professor of Transylvania. I'm back to have all the fun. <laughs> no, no longer teaching. I do teach a course now and then one right now. Um, I thought we ought to start with just finding out what brought... We know what brought us through here, and, and you're here for the technology. Yes. We didn't get in there. I'm Tristan Reynolds. I'm the host of the Rambos podcast. I'm just going to I'm, I'm gonna throw it open here. Uh, uh, I, I do remember as, as a child in our family, the one thing you didn't get into at the dinner table was politics. <laughs> so, that, in fact, that makes it exciting that we're here to talk about this work at a, a, in, a, in a context where generally you're supposed to hold your... You know, hold, keep your certain subjects under the table until everybody's digested their food. Uh, and this, and I, I love the irony of that. Um, so I, I don't exactly know whether uh, you want to make some kind of a, a guiding comment to us. Would you like I, to do that? Comment on what you just said because I think it's really interesting. So I grew up in Poland, and um, I do research in uh, Europe, and I spend a lot of time in Europe. And in Europe, politics is a subject that everybody talks about incessantly. Um, and maybe as a transplanted European, that was the biggest difference between Europe and America, that here, um, you talk about politics with people you tended to agree with. Um, but if you were in mixed company, uh, you didn't talk about it because, God forbid, you could um, offend somebody. And I found, and I wonder what you think about this actually, or everybody around the table, because I think something very important gets lost um, if we cannot agree to disagree and have a conversation about things that we feel passionate about in such a way that. Um, you know, we are all engaged, we are passionate, but we are not cruel, we are not abusive, we are not, you know, um, saying things to each other uh, that we regret later. Yeah. I was just curious what you think about that. Um, yeah, like, when, well, I have talked to European people, like, over the internet, because... <laughs> 
I'm not in Europe. So, <laughs> <All right. laughs> and, and yeah, sometimes like we'll just be hanging around and politics will come up and they're pretty open and they'll have disagreements and I'm personally not a politically like inclined person so I just like to make fun of all sides so that's that's how I go about it like I don't think there should be like a taboo on expressing your political views but like that's just me uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Europe this summer I have two friends that are from there, and so I went to Sweden and Norway, and then Denmark for an hour, which is pretty cool. But um, I, when I was over there, I didn't really hear much about politics, but I think it's because like I hadn't seen her in like two years, and so she really wanted to like see me. But sometimes it did pop up, and she would talk about politics in America, not necessarily over where like she lived. But like, well, I'm not very politically inclined. My dad a lawyer and so basically all my childhood talked about politics and everything and I think it's like I'm biased now and I just don't like talking about it because all my childhood has talked about it and it's understandable because he's a lawyer and he's inclined to you know, know all the world news and everything but I'm not very big on politics I should be you know cause I'm an adult now but I haven't found the interest yet I need to find it soon but yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, oh, actually, the dynamics of my family is very much a part of what inspired all of this work. Um, my uh, parents actually don't agree politically, um, and they never did. <laughs> and, uh, Makes for a fun marriage. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't remember, I mean, sort of like what was spoken about in the intro, Growing up, I remember there being a disagreement, um, but I, I feel like the rift, the divide there has gotten greater or more severe um, in the recent years, and, and I think there are a number of reasons for that, um, but it, it is interesting. And then also another thing that happened is my, uh, I got married, and my husband's family, their politics are very different than mine and my husband's family. Like, our family, mine and my husband's family, are different than sort of his parents and his extended family. Um, and a lot of what I, I think I was interested in addressing was that idea of, of not being able to talk about it, and not only not being able to talk about it in a way that was civil, but um, you know, you would have these people in your family who you love very much, and the conversations about politics would get so heated that all of a sudden you were not even kind of treating the other person with dignity. Like it was just, um, it got really ugly. And I think that the way that politics are talked about kind of um, on a, I don't know, more uh, in a broader sense, just in terms of people talking to other people on TV or I'm talking about people that are different from me sort of in a general sense. Um, I think that language can be very ugly and I think that we can deny the humanity of people who don't agree with us. Um, and I think that that language and that sentiment has sort of trickled down to even apply to people that are in our own family. Um, and it is, it does, it gets ugly. And I think one of the reasons we don't, or we try not to go there, is that we don't want that kind of and we don't know how to have a civil conversation about it because we have it modeled on television and the radio as, you know, let's just go after the guy. Let's just, you know, get as, as rabid as we as we can. How about you? Do you feel the same way they do about, you know, kind of keep it to yourself? Don't. Um, I, on, on both sides of my family, uh, my grandparents were the first generation to come to this country. So they brought with them a you know a more European attitude towards politics, and uh, and like Miss Ellie, my family, the sides of my family also disagree with each other, which makes for some interesting things. <laughs> um, but I I don't it it seems to me that. When we when we talk about politics, it's heated because 
in this country it feels very important because we we are not a particularly natural state I, I don't think uh, in that everybody came here because they wanted to be here and and to that point there's a, there's a certain level of baseline political agreement that you have to have uh, in order to to keep the roads functioning and by not talking about it, I, I think it allows us to um, talk ourselves into believing that everybody really deep down thinks the way we do and, and remove that potential for real serious conflict. So you're saying it's sort of a way to keep peace. Yes. It really is a peacekeeping yes. impulse. <laughs> I think, almost, I think um, sort of the, the flip side of what you're saying too, the, that it can perpetuate this myth that we all agree when in reality we don't. I also think that um, that the divide, the, the greatness of the divide is also very contrived. Um, and by not talking about it and not dealing with it, um, I think we also, we also kind of have this suppressed fear that we're very, very different. And that talking about it would only highlight those differences and that that's scary. Um, and because one thing that I don't understand, I mean, my dad, who I love very much, we're actually, I have some of his DNA, and we aren't that different. Our values are not that different. We don't treat people that differently. Um, yet, if we were to talk about politics, we would be mortal enemies. I mean, and, and that doesn't make sense to me because that's why I think there's some disconnect between who we really are as people and how we are defined politically. Don't you think that, that maybe that has something to do with the fact that we confuse politics with politicians? So, you know, politicians are these people we elect. Um, they belong to parties. And, and this is perhaps more apparent this year than any other, for me at least, is that, you know, forgive my metaphor, but it almost feels like um, a sports game, a contest where we have two teams and when one team wins, the other win, the other loses. So it's always somebody wins and somebody loses. Now, politics, the way I think about it, and I think that the way the concept evolved uh, originally in Greece is issues that the polis, the community, the society worries about and negotiates. So originally, yes, there were always people who would speak up. They were the original politicians, but it was not about the teams. It was about the issues. Mm -hmm. And you had to talk about the issues, and then, you know, you would have um, a consensus and dissensus, and people would come to some kind of agreement. But it was not that zero-sum game. If I win, you lose. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I personally, I don't like the two-party system that America has, because I think it leaves very little room for anything else, because there, it is basically taking people and forcing them onto a side, or in more recent times, since younger people don't vote, uh, no side, so it just, it doesn't seem to work as well as it should, so I, I think everyone should basically live and let live, like, you can have your own opinions, but like, don't, don't yell at other people for having theirs, and especially just because they say, oh, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, like, they're not your mortal enemy just because they are on this team, as it were. But what you just said made me think of Bernie Sanders. How does he, how does that situation figure in to the scenario where you, it wasn't two, it wasn't two, two part, two choices only for a while there, and now... Now it is again. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think that that would have been kind of saved the day if Bernie Sanders had had a, a better chance? I, I guess I'm not asking you if you if you're a Bernie <laughs> guy, but do you think that in any way plays into what you were saying? I think it does. Like, I think 
like for example Canada like they have more a three party system because their most recent prime minister I don't remember what party it was from but it was between three candidates I think if it was a similar situation in America like Bernie Sanders probably could have done better than just getting knocked out in the semi-final as it were to continue the sports great metaphor why do you think uh, you mentioned um, young people don't vote why not I think um, like one of the reasons like I'm gonna vote but um, I think one of the reasons why it's kind of like what you guys are talking about um, like I forgot to mention that yeah my parents disagree they're, they're in like different political parties and my grandparents they they don't get along either <laughs> and so I've like heard about this ever since I was younger and like they disagree they've disagreed like basically all my life and so I think some like some like students you know like college age I think some of them are scared to vote like to voice their opinion because they're not used to doing that yet since you know they've been under the roof with their family so like their parents and they've listened to what their family thinks and then now they have they're now they're in the real world and they don't know what to think because they're used to just having thoughts for them like, you know their family's thoughts like I I don't know who I'm gonna choose because like my mom wants one person and my dad wants the other and it's just like it's being independent for the first time and I I also have a twin sister and this is I'm also so I'm extremely independent now and so I don't really know what to think so I feel like in a way a lot of students are overwhelmed by finally being independent so they don't know who to vote for so they just don't vote at all it, um it may be worth considering as well, um, to go back to the Canada example, that even though uh, there are um, three party, three major parties in Canadian politics, the center-left and the left party tend generally to vote together. I, and I, I think often we, we simplify it by saying that all, all Democrats are the same and all Republicans are the same when uh, that's not quite true and there's a, a tremendous ideological diversity within the parties. But uh, for the purpose of electoral politics, uh, you do get a certain um, uniformity of discipline. Elect the Republican because even if you disagree with them, you disagree with them less than you do the Democrat. And, uh, and so while the top line looks very polarized and uniform, I think once you get down more into the details, you see much more and of course somebody like uh, Sanders um, actually was an independent before he became a Democrat so and we do have of course the Libertarian Party and we have the Greens so I mean there are you know they're not major players but they're there and, and I wonder if, if your, your friends who don't vote are aware of anything other than Democrat and Republican do they are they aware that there are all those other options uh, I went to a very small school, uh, very similar to Transy actually, so nearly everyone there knew about or planned on voting. So in my personal experience, pretty much everyone knew about the third party or knew about voting for, but some still might not just because, I don't know. Would they take it seriously? I mean, even really consider voting for? Jill Stein? I think I went to, I'm from Lexington, so like I live like 20 minutes away, and my high school is really close to here, and it's larger than Transy, and I feel like a lot of the students, I mean, not obviously not everyone's old enough to vote, but like the people who were old enough, I don't think they thought that their vote counted for anything. That's like the majority of why also students don't vote, I think, is that they don't think their vote is going to do anything, and so they just don't vote at all. But, I mean, obviously every vote counts, but not everyone knows that. Not everyone knows, I guess, um, the proper political way. And I feel like students should be taught more about politics, but the whole thing about disagreeing, I think uh, teachers were like, at least in my high school, wanted to get away from disagreements. Hmm. So. 
But it's probably also because students get confused between politicians and politics. They yes. don't actually understand what it means when you say politics, right? I mean, they think it is just about voting for a certain person. And I, I think what is really interesting about this show is that this show is very political without being about politicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. It's almost the counter conversation. Um, I mean, that's what I was interested in having through the work was um, having a conversation that wasn't one that had um, that used the same language as the conversation that the politicians are having. Because to me, that's that's just about their own power and and getting elected and um, saying what people want to hear and, and manipulating things. Um, yeah, and it's not. I mean, I can understand. Or I can try to imagine as a young person how confusing it would be because how do you even know what a credible source is? How do you know if what your what article you're reading is actual factual news or if it's some um, manipulation of news that has a particular bias to make you feel a certain way. So you have really a reason to be to feel like you don't know enough mm -hmm. to have a view, I guess, sometimes. When I was in college, there were burning flags. No, my, my classmates were burning down the ROTC building at, at UK. Anti-war sentiment was so powerful that these, these this would have been anathema to use to use the flag in this way. If somebody made a shirt out of a flag, everybody was horrified. And that's something that I find really empowering about this show is how how. Um, that has changed, and, and the, this imagery can can be used in these ways that are expressive, other than just the you know old glory flying mm -hmm. outside on flagpole, mm -hmm. uh, and even in ways like this piece is you know just almost it's almost comic. Right. It's definitely comic. So to to make comic statements out of a sacred mm -hmm. thing like mm -hmm. like the flag is, is brave, and uh, but uh, not doesn't quite carry the you're not going to be scorned for it like people in the, in the 60s and 70s were. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember is it Jasper Johns that did the, mm -hmm. the, the yeah, the, yeah. Um, what was the reaction to Jasper Johns flag pieces do you um, it was I think they were very positively very positive, um, received but that was different he wasn't was burning flags he was just referencing he was yeah. making images of flags um, but what, what I was actually thinking um, about this show which uh, I mean Melissa's work because she's working on flags more directly um, is that you know one of the wonderful things about this country and I really appreciate it as an immigrant um, is that we have this amazing freedom of um, expression, of you know, being able to say things, including with our sacred symbols, and um, you're not going to be held to jail, and you're not going to, uh, you know, um, um, be shot if you do something as an artist or as a poet or even as a, a you know, citizen or a person. I, I I think that's true, but I, I don't think it's always been true. In that, um, uh, what you what you Martha were talking about, um, <coughs> people being outraged at flag burnings fifty years ago. Well, they still are today. Well, yeah. yes. Or not standing, not standing for the for the pledge of allegiance or the yeah, that that's that's a this is a very, very powerful issue, right? Uh, yes. Related matter, yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting about that is. In, in a way, uh, the, the Vietnam generation was really fighting for the right to be able to say something, to, to protest a war. And, and more or less, they won that fight. So you, as a citizen, you can now say almost anything and find somebody who will agree with you to a certain extent. But with that freedom, I think, comes a lot of ambiguity in that what do you actually want to say? And, and I think having all that possibility for, for political action or political speech more than anything else uh, can be paralyzing, especially, um, especially when you're young.
I think that there is also a great deal of confusion uh, within this particular context between patriotism and nationalism. And those two are they're very different things. Patriotism is a positive feeling that we have towards our community. Nationalism is that kind of a negative feeling where you basically feel that we are better than them. It's a negative thing. Whether you're talking about flags or you're talking about uh, what we do with the Pledge of Allegiance, what I think is very interesting is that we are in this very peculiar moment well, where nationalism is kind of and make it's, America great again. Yes, and it's also tangled up in religion. I mean, um, how if you cannot stand for the national anthem, that that somehow equates to being um, un-American, which also equates to being a not Christian, I think. Uh, there's like, there's this and then it morphs into kneeling, which right. is which is an interesting way for it to to, to revert back to. But there's to this disturbing thing, and this has happened to some members of my family, um, where there's the the church that they attend has hitched their wagon to a particular political party. And so not, now all of a sudden you're not even talking about politics. You're talking about someone's faith, someone's religion. And, well, oh boy, like, no wonder people are getting offended because it's all of a sudden become almost the same thing. Well, about that, uh, the church attaching itself to a, a particular political viewpoint, um, a few months back, I, I went to Sunday Mass, right? Mm-hmm. And the priest started, like, tearing into Bernie Sanders. I was like, this is supposed to be a homily mm-hmm. about religion. And he's, like, going on about how, like, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. And I, I was about ready to, like, just stand up and leave. It was... I was having a hard time like believing that I was hearing that at church. Wow. I mean, but the church has always involved itself in politics, hasn't it? You want to go back to Europe? They fought several wars over the issue. So I, I, I think. Well, I was going to say I think what's disturbing now is that we all pretend like there's a separation between church and state. And there isn't. And so there's not even an honest conversation about that. Well, but it's not just, I mean, uh, it's interesting that we are talking about church and we're talking about religion, but one of the most important conversations that we're having as a nation is about religions mm-hmm. and about multiculturalism in America. And that question that you raised, actually, what does it mean to be an American? Mm-hmm. Who gets to be an American? What do you have to look like? What do you have to believe? What do you have to worship in order to qualify in some people's eyes mm-hmm. as an American? Well, and I've heard too, um, along those lines, um, some type, sometimes people get exasperated when, um, you know, there's a protest, like let's say the Kaepernick thing again. And their response will be like, well, if you don't like this country, leave. It's like, well, that then... You're saying that because you think that the country is yours, and who are you, and what does that mean? That the country is more yours than it is mine or his? Who who does this country belong to? Well, the Americans. <laughs> but in a way, isn't it mo- the the most spectacularly American response to say leave? Because that's what everybody had to do to come here, with the exception of Native Americans, African Americans, slaves, yeah. <laughs> And, and so really what, uh, what I think it is, is there's this awareness of, of the fragility uh, of America as a state. And, and so it, we look somewhat desperately for, for a, a more natural unifying feature, whether it is Christianity or whether it is um, whiteness. To, to paper over that fundamental artificiality. 
<laughs> I, I think what is really missing with a lot of people's minds outside of this country is uh, the fact that actually um, America is looked to. You know, people love um, criticizing Americans, yeah. mm -hmm. but America as a country is perceived, I, I think I can say that, worldwide as this kind of beacon of amazing potential. It's not perfect, but it is engaged in an experiment that is truly amazing. You know, and I think Europeans in particular never really thought of America as being fragile. American democracy as being fragile. I personally never thought about American <laughs> democracy as fragile. I just thought, well, you know, yeah, of course it's imperfect, but it's not fragile. And what I am feeling, and this comes down to feelings actually, mm -hmm. it's not just rational, is that I, I feel that it is in danger. Mm -hmm. The first time I've been here, it's, I've been here for uh, you know, several decades. Yeah, um, when I was over in Sweden, like Scandinavian area, um, when I would tell people, like obviously when they would hear me talk, they'd be like, oh, you're American. Like, yes, I am. But um, like, I don't know, it is weird. It's like a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people criticize Americans. Um, when I was, like before I went over there, I was kind of scared because I mean, I was like afraid that they were gonna like criticize me for being an American. Like, I mean, not necessarily like, I'm saying that they're bad, like they're bad people. They're not mean, it's just like from what I've heard from other people who have been to Europe. But um, yeah, it's, it's different how, it's weird, like you said, people will criticize just individuals, but as a whole, we somehow seem to be well put together when in reality, if you're over Everybody here. Everybody looks to America and says, well, you know, at least they're there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, and the idea that America would not be there. Yeah. Do, do you guys think that it's more fragile than it used to be? That, that we're in a, in a dangerous place right now? Maybe. I think there there is potential for it if certain things line up. I, I can't say what particular things, but like if the event does happen, I think it could, but I don't think it's likely. <clears throat> I think, in my opinion, I kind of think so. I mean, I think it's from what I've heard and from like you know, like my family and everything. It's kind of scaring me how. I mean, yeah. Even though, like, I don't, I don't want to think as like you know, there being two separate sides. There basically is, and it's inevitable that there are right now. And it's scaring me how each like side seems to hate one another so much at least from what i've heard of my family and not say like the actual like person who's saying hey i'm going for trump they're just hating their like views and everything but from what i can tell i think that we're just feeling like so much hate we're not even like we're getting off the issue of actually finding a good candidate for you know running our country we're just like talking about how we hate each other now and so it's scaring me i think that we're not going in a good direction. So. And then you add that to the fact that so few people vote. Yeah. And I think that that is a problem. You know, mm -hmm. for instance, in our gubernatorial uh, election, only 30% of people of registered voters in Kentucky elected our um, governor. Only 30% of people that were registered voted. I think so. So how many people are registered? I mean, so that's even right. a smaller percentage. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a tiny. I mean, so you know, it's like we mm -hmm. get what we yeah. do. You know, if you don't vote. For it. This is what you get, and it, so I mean, you can't complain if you don't vote. And I think that the most important thing, and it really doesn't matter where you want to be politically, is to really spread the message that you know it's citizenship. That's your. It's not a choice. It's your obligation. It's actually it's your job. You know, so many people um, die because in their countries they cannot vote. Yeah. Um, they don't have democracy. You know, I mean, it's we take it for granted. Okay, so second American Civil War. You heard it predicted here first. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I hope not.
Really? <laughs> no. No. Is it east versus west this time? Well, no, coasts versus <laughs> inland. Uh, no, but that's precisely the, the, the issue, is that it's not about physical violence. It's about electoral process. It's about mobilizing and it's about voting. It's but absolutely not about violence. What's well, not about violence? Uh, politics. But I think it, it is. I, I don't think it should be, but I think it is. I think um, part of that's part of that is what I was thinking about when I made the work that I made was how you know, and the work that I made was specifically about war and how removed I feel from war. Yet I think that the language of war is very much how we talk to each other. And I think that the language that we use is very violent. And I think that we um, do tend to uh, dehumanize our opponent or our enemy um, when we're talking about politics. And I think that even now there's, there, you know, guns are a big issue. Um, police violence is a big issue. A actual violence and people hurting one another is an issue and it just seems like it's getting heightened um, and so I do think I think that it shouldn't be violent that we should we should bring civility back to politics but we're but describing it, it as a, this is a tinderbox and it's ready to go up yeah and I can smell those matches all the way over here mm -hmm. I mean that is such a powerful piece of work that that says plenty about how how real it is, it, you know. That's just that's just on the basis of disagreement. Right. What is the number of people? One hundred twelve thousand. One hundred twelve thousand civilian people who didn't want to be in the fight anyway. They, you know, they weren't even signed up. Well, one of the issues, of course, now too, is about whether we should be engaged with the war world or whether we should be disengaged. And it's easy to say, well, you know, why should we be the policemen of the world? But if we don't provide leadership, then you have Aleppo, then you have all kinds of other horrible things going on. And I, I, I come back to, um, you know, religion. I mean, for those who are, you know, religious, I mean, isn't that something that you should take into account? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is something about a shared humanity that if you're willing to bomb someone who's halfway across the world and you're okay with them because you don't know them and you don't have to see it, what does that say about your own humanity? Uh, it's very disturbing to me. And if you're willing to bomb somewhere halfway across the world because it doesn't affect you, what else are you willing to do if it doesn't affect you? And I'm thinking about the priest bringing up the, it sounds like an ideological argument as opposed to one that that um, you, you felt probably, I think is what you were saying. It's not about that. It's probably more about this, more about something that really uh, does affect people. And it's not, you know, that, so, uh, that language that that uh, people want to pin on other people and make them the villain, the bad guy. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating to me too how politicians will use issues like the war or issues like, I mean, you name it. And they will leverage the actual real suffering that happens, the actual deaths and the actual sacrifice that happens. And they will take that and leverage that for their own political gain. And then all of a sudden, the, the conversation's changed. And you've got two political parties on either side um, trying to capitalize on the suffering, but not even really acknowledging it. They take what they want so that they can win their sports game, you know, whatever. And then it, and then it becomes an insult to everybody. Because um, they're just being used. Well, I, I, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit because isn't that to a certain extent what uh, what these pieces are doing? I mean, aren't we analogizing uh, the, the people of Fallujah to, to matchsticks? I, mm -hmm. I, at a certain point, 
isn't it impossible to approach it at anything but a, a remove or a distance? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no way for me or for, I mean, I don't want to presume anything. There's no way for me to actually connect to the war. I'm not in the war. I don't have loved ones in the war. What I can do, um, and, and, you know, yeah, and it's very far away. What I can do is make space for every, make space in my world for every person that's died. And for there to be something that I do, um, whether you call it a prayer or a meditation or just just um, the act of giving space to acknowledge that life, that's something that I can do that is meaningful and to me treats that life with dignity and respect. Whereas when we start throwing numbers around um, that are big and abstract and we start um, using those deaths and those numbers in um, political sparring back and forth, all of a sudden those aren't people anymore. Those are just talking points. Yep. And is this Edward Pacers also? Mm -hmm. Okay, that, and there's a, there's an, an excellent example of, did you all see that, the books? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that you went to the trouble to, to embroider each of those little epitaphs. Mm -hmm. um, that's for you, that's a person. It's a prayer or a prayerful, meditative thing. For us, it's a different way of looking at numbers, and it humanizes that small percentage of those people with that one name, and it brings it, makes us stop and think uh, beyond the numbers. This certainly just speaks of numbers to me. The mm -hmm. just the mass, the fire that still burning. Mm -hmm. um, but does art? Uh, what's the, what's the point of making art about all this? What's the you know? What's art got to do? But you and know, what what, what's really interesting right now is that we live in this hypersaturated age of image, and you would think that because we can see things, then that should affect us more. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, there is a photo that sort of everybody momentarily pays attention to. But then it disappears because there's so many photos. There's so many people, you know. So when, for instance, um, you know, the first um, tapes of um, the African-Americans uh, shot by police came out, everybody was kind of like, wow, we have never seen this before. And now it's like virtually, you know. Every day. <laughs> Weekly, yeah. There is something, and so there is a moment where you know, one per I, I didn't come up with this, somebody else said it, um, that when you have a single person die, it's a tragedy, but when you have thousands, it becomes a statistic. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and so here we are. You know, how do we return humanity? How do we return tragedy to this, the statistics of deaths, whether in war or domestically or, you know, in any other context? And does art does art help us do that? Does it? I really would like to know what effect this work will have on you um, down the road a week or two. Um, for me, I think it'll um, open my mind more. I mean, I never actually had like I can't. I don't know if I've had any family members at war before. I probably have. I just like don't. I haven't like heard about it. But I mean, seeing all this, seeing like the statistics, you know, seeing all those matches, 112,000, that, I mean, even though I don't want to think about how many people had to like go through suffering, like for no reason, it'll like open my mind to just see like how much pain the whole world is in right now. So. Will it motivate you to get somebody besides yourself to vote? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to my sister, um, try to like convince some of her friends. I'll probably convince a lot of my friends here because I know that a lot of my friends that they don't want to vote because there's no reason to. But I'm going to tell them when I get back, be like, voting is super important even though you don't think it is. It's going to have an effect. I don't know. Um, I, 
I'm going to vote. Most of the people I know are going to vote. But I, I, I think politics is at most an indirect way of dealing with any particular issue. Because you form the government, the government will do a thing, that thing will affect the problem, and then maybe, maybe, the problem goes away. Um, but at a certain scale, uh, you know, Iraq or, or Syria at this point, individual action can really only do so much. And at a certain point, I, I, I personally just feel dwarfed by the scale of it. What do you do against the tide? At the same time, those politicians that we elect, even on the local level, so we're talking our representatives, our senators, um, or ultimately the president, they will make decisions that will matter. And so even though we directly cannot impact those things, um, you'd be surprised how much impact you can have by not just voting, bugging the hell out of them. <laughs> they respond when you call. And this is one of the sort of, um, you know, insights of um, groups that are, have been very effective in shaping American policy. Uh, most, um, um, obviously, LRA. It's not a lot of people who are members of NRA, but boy, are they organized, and boy, do they make themselves here hurt. And I think that most of us, we kind of feel like, well, okay, I don't want to get involved. I mean, it's too big. What am I? But if millions of people think the same thing, you know, then basically what we are doing, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, because I am exactly the same as you. Um, we are basically giving over the process to those who are organized and who will make the phone calls and send emails and, you know, show up on the steps of the Capitol and march at the protests or whatever, you know? Um, and it's really not just about the election. It's like, you know, because it's every two years, every three, every four years. It's the time in between, actually, when we think, oh, well, you know, no more politics. <laughs> that's when We even say, I'm glad that's over with. Yeah, yeah it's never over with. That's the interesting thing. Get some more diversity in the commercials. <laughs> actually, for, for all of you, I mean, who are younger, I mean, I, I think about this now. I mean, it's like, it would have been interesting to actually become engaged in politics on the local level, mm -hmm. to run for council or something like that, you know? Because um, it is amazing the effect you can have, actually. <laughs> you know? well, and you can, you don't have to follow party lines yeah. the same way on a local level. You can focus a lot more on actual issues that impact you. Did you know that we we actually, you know, the two-party system is not written in stone. Uh, it just sort of is. And there have been times in American politics where we had multiple parties, um, outside candidates. Um, We've had other parties too. Absolutely. And um, so, I mean, this is what's so wonderful about this country, is that actually it is we the people. We can redefine the laws. You know, constitution can be amended. Women couldn't vote, right? No. Mm -hmm. Not too long ago. African Americans couldn't vote. Now they can. I mean, we have made changes. This is a living country. It's a living system, and it's your country. It's your future. You know, it's even younger um, kids. You know, what I'm always amazed by is. For instance, um, the parents um, of young children who, we haven't talked about this, but um, dismiss um, climate change as something that is not an issue. It doesn't affect me. I'm in Kentucky. I, you know, yeah, who cares? That, that gets me really mad. Yeah. Um, I, um, I think that we should educate students of all ages about specifically like climate change because... It's, 
or, or it's natural process. It happens, and um, no matter like people think that just because that like it's not that it's like happening up in the north and it's not affecting us like down south. Um, and it's kind of like with the, like the politics and everything. Just because it's like only you, you think that your one vote isn't going to affect everyone else around you. It does have an effect, and the same with climate change, it does have an effect on all of us because it like affects not only it affects like basically everything around us, all the animals, especially the animals up in the north. I mean, kind of getting sidetracked. I'm sorry, but um, every every single every person's vote, in my opinion, has a but it, it's one of those issues where you would think it would should not matter whether you're Democrat, Republican, or anything else. Right? Except that, that some parties will suddenly you know, take take a a platform and say we're the we're the anti this platform, mm -hmm. and uh, even even if everybody in that group does not hold that 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 truth to be self-evident, people will have to kind of bear with it. And I think this is one of the examples. Like who, could, who can argue against climate change? Yet they do. And it's, it's, it's sort of Orwellian. It's 1984. Has everybody read 1984? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. There are other things that play, no, yeah. other no. factors, other incentives that are unspoken. That but again, I mean, this is one of those issues where I think sober conversation rather than you know a shouting match over ideology would be a really good thing mm -hmm. well we've had this dinner table where nobody's yelled at anybody yet yeah, I know. This is it, great. Uh, but it's yeah we haven't hit any of those buttons that, unless of course we have and we'd be all behaving like Good children. <laughs> well, it almost seems to me that uh, I mean it would be a good habit to have, you know, just to like practice getting together with friends and designating once in a while, like let's talk politics, <laughs> you know, with people who don't want to talk about it, yeah. to kind of like habituate yourself to how to even talk about it. Thank you for listening. Since this is a new format for The Rambler, I'd like to take a little time to talk to you about it at the end of this podcast. We'll have a new interview podcast out each Monday that you can listen to at transyrambler.com. Our topics will cover just about anything you can think of that affects the transy community. If you have suggestions for either people to interview or topics for us to cover, you can email them to rambler at transy.edu with the subject line, podcast. If you're a musician and would like to have your music featured on the podcast, email us at rambler at with the subject line, podcast music. And if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, contact us at rambler at using the subject line, sponsor. The preceding podcast was a production of Rambler Media. Our editor-in-chief is Megan Graft. Our managing editor is Madison Crater. Our creative director is Tyler Lega. Our head producer is Brandon Trapp. And I'm Tristan Reynolds. Thank you for listening.